All right, so I don't know if you guys feel this, but the older that I get, the more pressure, which I'm not, I'm not super old yet, but, um, the, and so I can't imagine when I do get to be super old, the more pressure that I feel around Christmas, right? Who are we going to see? Um, what are we going to, where are we going to go? What are we going to eat? What are we going to get people? All of these, all the things that you have to do for Christmas, it's just, it's pressure packed. And the worst or the hardest by far is opening gifts. How many of you guys, when, when it's time to open gifts, that's like the most stressful time for you? That is the most stressful time for me. Nobody else. I'm all by myself. Um, so every year when we sit down, I'm the worst gift getter ever. And so somebody gives me a gift, and I want that person to know how much I really like the gift, no matter what, right? Even if I don't like it, I, I think something happened when I was a child. I don't want to talk about it, but, um, but I, I just I come up with this uh, in my head. I've got to have a, a line. This is what I'm going to say when I open this to make sure this person knows how much I like this gift, right? I rehearse these things, and, and I'm trying to make sure they know I appreciate it, right? And so yeah, most of the time, I really do like the gifts that I'm given, but I'm so nervous that I won't and that I'll give this reaction of, ugh, you know? And then the person will feel bad, so i just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to say, yes, I love this one, or this is so great, or how'd you know, or you know, all of these things. I'll, take, I'll open it up, and, and I'll take it, and I'll put it up, that doesn't tell you anything, but, um, you know, it's what, it's what we do. And so, so anyway, I, I'm just, I, I stress out over this, and, and I think it's pretty apparent that I'm, you know, just giving canned responses, but I can't help but do it. I'm just overthinking it for sure. Um, and, and, and even if I do, because most of the time I do really like the, the gifts that I get, I can't give a genuine reaction, because if I do, well, one, I've already got the, the one that I'm going to give in my head, so I'd have to scrap that, and I can't use it again until next year. And then the number two, if I give a genuine reaction, then all of the fake ones are going to seem even more fake, and I'll just, you know, people will know what I'm doing. But it's, it's a stressful time, and I, I, it's, it is really, it's, it's a hard time for me. But the other thing is giving the gifts, right? Um, we have a whole list of people that we get gifts for around Christmas, and thankfully, my wife looks at the list and gets everyone on that list the present, except for me, or except for, for herself. She doesn't get her own gifts, and so that's, that's where I come in. I, uh, I get to get all of her gifts, and I have, I, she gives me hints, which help a lot because I just get those things. She, I make her send me a link, um, but it's kind, of, it's kind of a big deal, like, that I nail this week because because we got Christmas, and then the day after Christmas is her birthday, so then I got to get, you know, gifts for that. And then we did this one to ourselves, but our anniversary, our 12-year anniversary is the December 30th. And so it's a big week that kind of determines if we will have a happy new year or not. <laughs> and so, so um, I guess, yeah, pray for me. Uh, we have, <laughs> but, but anyway, gifts have kind of become this, like, really synonymous with Christmas, right? You can't think of, at least with kids especially, you can't think of Christmas and not think of gifts. And this is certainly overdone to a point, and, um, you know, there's the, all the advertisements and all of the, uh, you know, oh, the pressure to get the best kind of gifts and all this stuff, but it's not all bad, right? And giving gifts is fun, and it's an exciting thing, and, um, and, it, and it lets, especially our kids, like, looking forward to Christmas, that's part of it. Um, and so there are reasons why we give gifts. Some gifts we give um, because we're obligated to, right? Maybe to a coworker or, or a teacher or somebody like that where you feel like, okay, well, I'm just, I have to give you this because you're going to give me something and it's this exchange. And other gifts we give, like we, you know, I was so, so impressed being here now all of Christmas. Last year we came right after Christmas. Um, seeing how this church gives at Christmas with Target date and boxes and 
uh, filling up, how many, I don't know if we ever got a total count, 224, okay, so our goal was 200, we just went way past that, that's awesome, 224 of these big boxes um, that, that we, we gave out to people to, um, to Target Dayton, which is a, a ministry to the homeless in this area, and so we're, you know, just generously able to help people that way, um, we did Angel Tree, um, which a lot of people came alongside and, and, and really ran that thing, and um, got gifts for all of the for, for kids who have a parent that's incarcerated. So there's these these situations where where we're able to give gifts of of charity, and, and it's so great to be able to give to those who who need help around this time of year, especially. And so um, yeah, those are those are great reasons to give gifts. But well, the obligation one isn't really that great, but um, it, it's something that's there. But uh, so the the other reason that we have to give gifts or we give gifts is out of love, right? When we when we truly love someone and we want to give them a gift and and again, I can't think of a better example than with my kids. They're not going to be able to get me something in return. They're not going to be able to, you know, to, to kind of do that. It's just I give them, we want to give them gifts because of how much we love them and how it'll bring them joy, it'll make them happy. And we try not to spoil them. We try not to overdo it. But it's really hard because they're so excited and it's tons of fun to just give them gifts and, and to see the reaction on their face. Uh, the gift of Jesus coming to earth. It was not a gift of obligation. You know, it, was, it wasn't, a, it, you know, okay, well, I guess I'll do this for them. It wasn't a gift of charity. It was done 100% out of love because he loves people. Because God loves all people, right? And, and we'll, when we'll get into to that a little bit later with, with how he made that known. Um, <clears throat> but he sent Jesus here to, to be a man, to be a, a human among us, to deal with all of the, the things that people have to deal with, all of the the pain, all of the hardships of this earth Jesus dealt with. And he came, he left the perfection of heaven to come here and deal with that because of his love for you and for everybody else, right? Um, and, and the way that Jesus came to earth, the way that he came onto the scene, really set the stage for how he was going to live his life, right? Jesus could have came, he could have like floated down from the sky in a cloud of fire or something and, and been like a mixture of all the superheroes and just, you know, he could, have, he could have overthrown every kingdom all at once, and um, he, could have, he could have just been the ruler from day one and, and had everybody bow down and worship him and serve him. He could have done that. Um, he could have even just, just been born into the house of, of Caesar or somebody um, to have a, a life of luxury while he's here, right? But he didn't do that. He came to a humble family that was from a humble town, and, and he was born in a humble setting, and so we can see uh, just, just kind of some of the character of Jesus uh, in those moments, in that moment. I see pictures portrayed of Jesus a lot, right? We see, um, we see these, these images of what Jesus, you know, the, the, the famous picture where Jesus kind of has a far-off look. And, um, and these pictures, they all portray Jesus in a, in a certain way. Um, I saw one recently, uh, and it's at, it's at Brody's preschool, where Jesus was, he's like, he had to be 6'7". I mean, compared to everybody else, he's just gigantic, and he's built like a tank, and he's got long, flowing blonde hair and blue eyes. And, and you know, you're like, well, I doubt that was really what he looked like. Um, and Isaiah actually gives us an account of what the Christ, the coming Christ, would look like. Uh, he says, uh, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Okay, so there was nothing about Jesus that would make you say, that's a guy I'm going to follow, or that's somebody that's important, or hey, if, if God was to come, this is, what he, this is who he would come in the form of, right? He was just a regular guy. He was just, he looked just like everybody else. There was nothing that set him apart 
Um, I get it, though, as far as the artists. If somebody said, hey, will you paint Jesus for me? You're not going to try to make him look plain, and, and you know, you're going to try to make him look really good. So I understand that, but um, we've heard a little bit. Uh, I want to move on to, um, to Christ's arrival. We heard a little bit of it this morning, and Pastor Ked uh, shared it last week in Luke 2. Um, but, so it's probably fresh in your minds, but I want us to pretend like it's not. Just kind of close, close your eyes, clear your minds, try to, try to hear this story um, almost like the first time, and, and, and maybe put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds. Um, this is a little bit more reading than what we normally do, but just pretend like I'm in a rocking chair, and I'm grandpa, and I'm reading this you know, Christmas story to you uh, before you open presents or something. So this is Luke 2, 4 through 19. <clears throat> it says, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, and to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with, it, with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, uh, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those who his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they had just been told about. So Jesus comes in this humble setting, right? He's born in a manger. He's, there's no room even available for him to, uh, to make his entrance, right? Uh, and so he's in this, this manger, and yet the angels come, and there's this spectacular scene, right? And they show up for these shepherds, which shepherds would have been uh, fairly lowly in society, right? They were, they were excluded. They were um, most likely not very educated, uh, they had probably heard about the Messiah, but they weren't, you know, scholarly studying about this Messiah that was coming. Um, and we got to remember the timing, too. Uh, this, is, uh, this is after the Old Testament, right? So, so at the end of the Old Testament, um, God was still using prophets to, to speak to his people, um, to prophesy to people. And Malachi was the last prophet that God spoke through. And then God um, was quiet. There was 400 years of silence, right? And that doesn't mean that God left or, or was asleep or turned his back on people. He was still moving and active in the lives of his people, but he just changed how he spoke to them. He didn't speak through prophets anymore. And so the Jews were probably wondering, where is God, you know, what's, what's going on? Why isn't God speaking to us? What's happening? And this was a, a busy 400 years, which 400 years is a really long time. This is a super basic surface level history lesson. Um, shortly after uh, Malachi's time, uh, the Isra Israel was conquered by the Greeks when Alexander the Great was on his conquest, and, and many of the Israelites then learned Greek, and that's why the Old Testament was translated into Greek, 
Um, after that, Egypt conquered them, so they were under Egyptian rule again. Um, then the Syrians came and conquered them, and then finally the Romans conquered them, and, and they were still occupying Israel when Jesus was born. Okay, so all of this happened, and, and during some of this time, they were treated fairly. They were treated, um, they were allowed to kind of just live their lives under somebody else's rule. Um, during some of this time, they were persecuted very harshly. Um, and I'm sure that they were wondering, God, where are you? Why, why aren't you doing anything? Where, where have you gone, right? Um, they had no longer heard from him. And, and we know that, that an angel came to Mary and Joseph and told them what was going to happen. But they, as far as these shepherds knew and everyone in Bethlehem, God has been silent for 400 years. And that's a long time. Like if, if you want to kind of you know, put it into perspective, think of when electricity was invented. Okay, that was a long, long time ago. And then go back another 250 years because, you know, 400 years is a really long time. And so they were, they were still worshiping God, but there was probably this question of, God, why have you changed? Where, where, you know, what, what is going on here? Um, and so when they got, they, you know, they hear this, these angels show up, and then the angels leave, and they're like, we got to go find what they're talking about. And so they go to Mary and Joseph, and when they get there, I imagine these shepherds like, Mary, you will not believe what has happened? Like, let us tell you what these angels said. And she already knew it. You know, she already knew how special her little boy was. Not just the way that most moms think that, but um, she knew he was going to be the Messiah. But they're like, this is so incredible. I can't believe this. And they, they show up, and there's this baby, and they, they worship him. And then there, it says in verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said. Okay, so they see this baby. They worship him. They're, wow, this is crazy we got to tell everybody. Like, I can't believe there aren't other people out here. I can't believe other people didn't hear the angels. I can't, you know, I, why didn't the angels go to all of them? They must have only come to us. Are we really that special? Let's go tell everybody, right? So I, I imagine, I don't know if it was night, but I imagine it was night, and they're pounding on the door, and they're like, hey, wake up. Come out here. Come check out the Messiah. The Messiah has come. We just saw these angels. This is crazy, right? And they go to everybody's door, and, and maybe people were reluctant at first, but I bet they came eventually, and I bet they saw, and and that's what Mary was treasuring up in her heart, which is such a sweet way to say that. But I know if it was my wife, she was like, okay, she had our baby. And, and then she was like, I don't want any visitors for the next week. Um, because, you know, it was, you, know, you just don't want to. I imagine if, I wonder if Mary was excited with all of the strangers coming to visit. But she also gave birth to the Messiah. So she was probably a little different than, uh, than your normal new mother. Um, but let's stay on the shepherds for just a little bit. This was without, the, without a doubt the craziest night of their life, right? Like they, they had just seen these angels show up. They had, um, they had encountered this heavenly host, this, this bright light. They, were, they went from terrified to just jubilation. They were, um, they were kind of on, on all range of the spectrum, right? And, <clears throat> and when, when we encounter Jesus, things change, right? Do you think these shepherds the next day were like, okay, well, let's go back to our regular old lives and be shepherds again and not talk about what happened. We're just going to go on with our day. No, they probably were much different the next day, the next week, the next, probably their whole lives. You know, Scripture doesn't tell us what happened to the, the shepherds after this, but, but I imagine, I don't know if they kept being shepherds, but their lives changed, right? They would have been talking about this. They would have been telling, I bet everybody who encountered them was like, yeah, I, I heard the angels came and visited you, right? They probably got so annoying at how much they talked about this, but they were excited about what had happened, about this Messiah that had come, and that um, when Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, things change. We are different afterwards. We see this all throughout Scripture. 
um, when Saul was walking on the road to Damascus going to persecute Christians, and a bright light shows up, and he's blinded, and, and it's Jesus, and he's saying, why are you persecuting me, right? And from then, Paul, Saul has then changed, his name has changed to Paul, and he goes, instead of persecuting Christians, he goes to, you know, to be one of the leaders in this, in this Christ-following movement and writing most of the New Testament. Um, there was a centurion who, who came to Jesus, and, and in encountering him, Jesus saved this guy's uh, child, this, um, this Roman soldier. And, and, I mean, after that, how could you not be different, right? We know he was different. Um, the disciples, they, they were living their lives, doing regular things. They encounter Jesus, and all of a sudden, they're just like, okay, everything that I've ever known, I'm going to push to the side, and I'm going to follow this guy because he's worth it, right? They encountered Jesus and were different. The woman caught in adultery that, that was about to be stoned, and Jesus stood up between her and her accusers and said, you know, let he who has the first, who without sin cast the first stone, and they all left, right? And then he told her, go, leave your life of sin, and and I, I can't imagine how different she was afterwards. But we, she, we wouldn't stay the same after encountering Christ. It's the same for us. You know, when, when you had an encounter with Christ, um, hopefully you are different. You know, when we encounter Christ, I think one of the things that it seems, it seems strange, but one of the things, the first things that happens is we come, become more aware of our, of our shortcomings, of our sin, of our, of our failures, but in a good way, Right? Like, if I, when I encounter Christ, I see, wow, I am messed up. Like, I am not as good as I thought I was. And I can't believe that that's okay with Jesus because he loves me even on my worst day. He loves me even in spite of all of my shortcomings, even in spite of all of my sin. He still chose to send his son here for me, to eventually have his son die for me, to be that sacrifice for me, right? We, we see these shortcomings, but yet we're able to, to kind of look at them and say, all the more glory to God because, because he has overcome these things. He has overcome these issues in my life, right? That is such good news. Um, this completely undeserved grace that we've been given, uh, all we have to do to get these, it's a free gift. All we have to do is, is believe, right? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, okay? The question that I have for you today to think about is, have you had a true encounter with Jesus, right? And there were people in scripture who, who encountered him, who came and who talked to Jesus, who weren't changed, right? They, they just kind of had this casual conversation. And when I'm saying a true encounter, a real encounter, I'm saying, where you understand who he is, where you understand that he is the God of the universe, that, that he loves you, that he died for you. Have you had that kind of encounter, right? Because when we have that kind of encounter, we're going to be different than we were before, we're going to be changed. And that's the, the other part of that question. If yes, then are you different than you were before then? You know, are you living with any, any kind of the excitement that the shepherds had? Um, are, you, are you living your life out that way? Um, because, and I hope we are. And, I, and, I, and, it, and there's, there's evidence from so many in this body of, of how God, how Jesus has changed you. Because when he changes you in that way, all of a sudden some of the things that you do don't necessarily look rational, you know. Um, loving people outrageously in, in, in different ways. Um, that's, not, that's not the norm, but that's what happens when we, when we encounter Christ and when we're changed because of it. So if you have encountered him, if you have, um, you know, come, come into that relationship with him, it's not, that's not where it stops, right? We have a, a mission that we have been sent on, a, a commission where we're all going on it together. Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 
is the Great Commission. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's giving the disciples, he's giving his followers, and he's giving us this, this mission to say, go, reach everybody. Go tell everybody this good news, right? Don't, don't just keep it to yourselves. Don't just, don't just like huddle together and, and, and keep it for yourselves. Go make sure everybody has this opportunity to, to receive this gift. Go and tell the world, right? And it's awesome that, he's, that he ends it with, because I'm with you, right? He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to, to help us along on this on this path of reaching the lost, right? But that's, that is a huge part of, of being a Christ follower is listening to this, to this mission. Every day, as we are out and about doing different things, we are, we are coming across eternal beings, right? People who will spend eternity somewhere. And I hope that that, you know, kind of bothers you a little bit of, I need to make sure that I am being a great witness for Christ in every interaction that I have. I need to make sure that, you know, that doesn't mean shouting, hey, Jesus loves you, he died for you, but it can be, it can be all sorts of different ways of loving the lost, of loving the world, and, and being a light that shines for Christ, right? Um, but these eternal beings, Jesus came for them. You know, the shepherds were not the, the highest class. They weren't the ones who, who studied the most about God, and yet the angels came to them, right? God loves everyone. He loves every eternal being you have ever come across. He loves every eternal being that has ever stepped foot on this earth. And he wants them to have the best opportunity to receive that, that eternal gift that he's offering. Right? Um, I want to I kind of close, get ready to close with this. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were, we were doing like an early, early Christmas party. It was, it was December 8th, okay? So that was, that was way early. Um, but we were driving back here from northeast Indiana and as we were driving, we see beans in the field. And I only noticed the beans because there was a combine. And I was like, this seems really late for a combine to be out farming. I, don't, I, I grew up in a farm area surrounded by fields, but I am not a farmer in any way. I have no idea um, when it comes to that. But that seems late to me, December 8th, when they were bringing in beans. Maybe it's not. Um, but I'm, we're driving, and I see this combine, and he's getting beans, and we start talking, and I start talking about, why, you know, why is he waiting so long to collect his beans? And as we're going, we keep seeing field after field, and, and I'm not a good judge of this, so I don't know how many acres it was. It was probably close to a million, okay? We'll just, we'll just, <laughs> we'll just guess that. Um, and, and so we see all, like, a million acres of beans that this one farmer is trying to bring in, right? He, it was probably all his uh, millions of acres, but now it just just multiplied. Now it's millions. Um, but you know, this this guy's out there, and he is he's bringing in the harvest, right? Uh, and and I just couldn't help but think, you know, what if he had? What if there were two combines out there doing this, right? You know, I, I was thinking of Matthew nine, where it talks about um, Jesus is is healing and teaching a large crowd, and he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, we as Christians are the workers. We're the ones that God has entrusted to take his message out to the world. And, and, and there's, it says that there are few of those, right? As this guy is bringing in his beans, what if there were two combines? How much faster would it go? Well, it would go twice as fast. What if there were 10 combines, right? Well, it would go 10 times as fast. What if there were hundreds of combines? Well, then, then maybe a million acres is, is doable. Um, I don't know. But 
Uh, it reminded me when I was first starting out as youth pastor, and I, and I kind of was breaking a rule, and I didn't even know it. Um, I was going into a school for lunch, and I would bring candy. And I did that for like months. And then somebody was like, you know, you're not supposed to bring outside food because you could have poisoned it or something. I don't know. I didn't. But, um, but they thought I could have. And so, so anyway, for months, I was bringing around this bag, this Walmart bag of candy, as I would go walk around the, the high school lunch, which is awkward enough. Um, but the, I would became the candy guy, or th- some people would say the creepy candy guy, um, depending on who you talk to. And, and so as we're, you know, as I'm talking to, like, my students, and I hear them being like, hey, John, you know, I brought, I brought so-and-so to youth group tonight. Tell them about Jesus, right? Or, hey, John, my friend's over here at lunch. He won't come to youth group. Can you tell him about Jesus so he does come, right? And it's, John, you tell them, right? And I understand that mindset from a teenager. I understand, um, I understand that. But I think sometimes we get that way in our own lives, right? Like, okay, this person needs to hear about Jesus. I'm not qualified. Uh, maybe this person can tell them, right? Or maybe, maybe I'll wait for somebody else to tell them because I might mess it up. Right? But no, if you are, you know, if, if you are a follower of Christ, you have been given this task of reaching the lost. Right? I would tell the students, it's your, it's it's up to you to to be that light, to to say the words, to share Jesus with your friends. Right? And if that means you need to spend some more time in prayer or spend some more time in God's word, then that's what that means. But it's gonna be so much more effective coming from you, their peer, than from the creepy candy guy. Right? They don't they're not gonna they're not gonna hear what I have to say beyond do you want Twix or Reese's and and that's that's the extent of it right and they're they're taking and they're examining are there any holes in this um you know but they're not gonna it's 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 up to each of us right it's not well my gift isn't reaching the lost no it's not that doesn't specify who is supposed to go on this this mission that is laid out here right it is it's all of us we're all in this together to reach the lost so how many people do you encounter how many people might you encounter this holiday season, right, at family gatherings, at, um, and, I, and, I'm, and again, I'm not saying you have to pin somebody down in the corner and say, oh, you need to accept Jesus, but we can be Christ's light in every situation that we're in and reaching out to everybody, even if we're not using the words, even if we're not um, sharing the gospel per se, we can be sharing the gospel through our actions and through our love for people. And then when we have the opportunity, when give, God gives us the opportunity to share, I hope that we're ready. I hope that we are um, understanding this is part of my mission. This is part of my job as a Christ follower to actually care enough about this person to talk about their eternity, right? Uh, we care about a lot of people. We care about people's destiny. We care about um, where people are gonna spend eternity, but maybe sometimes we don't care enough to have an awkward conversation. And I wanna, I wanna challenge you, um, do that in everyday life. You know, strive to, try, strive to do that to be like those other combines coming along, helping bring in these million acres of beans. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I pray that, um, that you would prepare us, God, for opportunities where we can reach the lost for you. God, uh, and once we're prepared, I pray that you would just give us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity where we, it is just so clear that your hand is on the situation that you have you have ordained it, God, because you will give us those opportunities to reach the lost. And God, I pray that you'll help those in this room to be bold and and to not to not be terrified of the situation, but to be bold because you're with them and that you, they can share your name with the lost. It's in your name we pray. Amen.